Thanks so much for being here this morning. We're continuing in our mini-series concerning God's purpose in marriage. And I want to thank you for continuing in the class as we've been going through this. I realize that some of the material we've taken a good bit of time to develop rather than just jumping into some of what we would think is a salient issues about husbands and wives and how they relate. And again, I am a firm believer that if we don't create or build a firm biblical foundation and then build on that foundation, whatever it is that we're going to be teaching and living, what we're doing is going to fail. And so we've taken this time purposefully to go into some of these details. However, we will be bringing this to a conclusion, and I think next week will be the last in this semi-season, I mean, uh, this mini-season. There's a whole lot to talk about. There's just a whole lot to say. But we're not making this a marriage conference. It is merely an adjunct to what we find in Matthew 19 when Jesus being asked about the issue of divorce and remarriage. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? You remember they were really wanting him to have an answer for the, the Leviticus 24, 1 through 4 issue about marriage and divorce. And so you remember Jesus answers by referring them to Genesis where he says, you know, that he created them male and female, and then he joined them together as one flesh. You remember, that's where he puts the issue on the firm foundation of the Word of God. And so we've been developing that. So this morning, just I want to go into a particular area in general and speak about it for a few minutes. In Genesis 1, 26, 28. Now, by now, all of us should probably be thoroughly familiar with this particular portion of Scripture. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, the Lord creates humanity in Adam and Eve. He creates all of us, remember, in Adam and Eve. We were all there in the loins of Adam and Eve, correct? In the loins of Adam specifically. And so when God is giving this instruction and God is laying out his purpose to Adam, he is giving it to all humanity who are in Adam at that moment. And so in Genesis 1, 26, 28, the Lord creates, remember, Adam and Eve as his image bearers by giving them responsibilities in order to image God, image who God is and how God is. There is a way of living. There are things that must be done and walked out in order to be the image bearer, in order to reflect on the earth through our personal relationships and especially in the marriage relationship, to be reflective in our relationship, the relationship that exists within God among the three persons of God. Remember, all of this, generally in the church, but specifically for marriage, everything, may I repeat that, everything in the marriage is about God's triunity. We got it? Do we have that down? There is not a single thing in the marriage that has not anything to do with God's triunity. Everything. Everything. And so, what is the responsibility? 
Remember in 27 and then 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and then subdue and have dominion over the earth. Why? So that in this relationship between this man and the woman, humanity will come forth as a community of people upon the earth living and relating through roles in such a way that they are demonstrating the love that God is within himself among the three persons of the Godhead and expanding this revelation, this presence of God into all the earth so that the garden, if you would, becomes an expansive, ever-extended place, ever taking over the wilderness. Remember the field out there, outside, so that on, in one day, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God, as Habakkuk says. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. The glory of God in what sense? That this earth filled with these people, this earth will be a community of humanity that in any and every respect reflects the community of the Godhead. That's what mankind is all about, and that's why we have been created for that purpose. And so then in Genesis 2, 7, you remember we read that God formed man from the dust of the earth or the ground, man being that Hebrew word A-D-A-M, Adam. God formed Adam, if you would, from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And then in verse 15, after naming the animals and so on, God tells Adam, now Adam, you have the responsibility of working and keeping your garden. Now up to this point, there is no woman in the garden. All of this is given to Adam, indicating you see his leadership or his headship, his responsibility, representing the father's role of being responsible and taking the leadership. And so he says, Adam, you're to work and keep the garden. We talked a little bit about that last week. But then in verse 18, we read that there's a problem. There's something going on here that's a problem. Something's lacking. Now, remember the general structure of Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 1, which begins Genesis 1, 1 and ends in Genesis 2, 3, kind of peculiar, but Genesis 2, 1, 2, and 3 really belong to chapter 1. So that's, that's how that is. And so in Genesis chapter 1, they, we are given God's outline. Here's what I did. I built this, I did this, I did that. Day 1, I did that. Day 2, I did this, 3, 4. And, and I'm going to create man in our image in verse 26. Verse 27, he created man in his image. He told him to be fruitful and multiply, subdue and rule. And then we move along until the end. And as everything is very good and God rested. Correct? That's a general outline. Then in chapter 2, verse 4, we begin to get God filling in the details of that outline. It's not a second creation story. It's the same creation story now coming from the perspective of God's relationship and relational uh, purpose, how he creates that and how he forms that and how he brings it to pass in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, moving on to the end of the chapter in verse 25. So that's what's happening. And so in chapter 2, verse 7, man is created. Chapter uh, 2, verse 15, man is given work and keep the garden. Then verse 18, what is wrong in verse 18? Man is what? Alone. Now it doesn't say lonely. He's alone. Why is, wrong, why is it not good that man is alone? 
Why is it good that man is alone? Where do you go? To what verse do you answer any and every question about our life in Christ? What verse do we go to to answer any and every question about our life in Christ? No matter what the question is, no matter what the desire is, no matter whatever it is, you go to one verse in particular that is a foundation answer for everything about our life in Christ. And what is that? Genesis one twenty six. That sums it up, lawyer. One verse. Can you ma- Wouldn't that make your job easier, Dave? Just one verse. There it is. Everything solved. The whole, you know, the lawsuit is finished and we can all go home. Why? Why isn't it good for Adam to be alone? Because you see, in order to reflect or image a plurality, humanity must have at least minimally how many? Two. That's why Eve must be created. That's why it's not good for Adam to be alone. A single person cannot reflect a corporate group. Do we see that? There has to be a relationship here with this man as with an equal. Why? Because the members of the Trinity are equals relating to one another. So we have to have Adam. So God creates Adam in verse 18. And what does he do? I will create for him. I will give him a helper who is suitable for him. One who will come alongside of him, as we talked about last week, and will, will augment and add to his deficiencies all that is needed under the leading of the Holy Spirit so that this man will be able to be the God-centered, God-glorifying, God-reflecting leader that the Father is because his wife is a God-fearing, God-reflecting helper and submitted to him as Christ is submitted to the Father and as the Holy Spirit is submitted. Could you remember, the Father does nothing alone He does it in concert with the Son and the Spirit. The Son does nothing alone. He does it in concert with the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit does nothing alone. He does it within the con... What? Within the what? What word have I been using? Can't hear you. Context of the Father and the Son. And that should tell us something about the relationship between the husband and wife. And so he creates them, you remember, in verse 24, to be what? One flesh. He brings them together, two human beings of the same nature, and brings them together to live as if they are one in such unity that they walk together in such harmony and such love through their distinctive roles that they are said to be one. Why is that so significant? Why is it so significant, the unity of the body, the unity of the marriage? Because it is to be reflective of the unity that exists among the three persons of God in the Godhead. Remember, everything goes back to the original, to God himself. And so in this way, there will be a living portrait of how the three divine persons of God relate to one another through their distinctive roles. And so hopefully as we're saying this, the husbands are thinking and evaluating their roles and how they're doing. And the wives are thinking about evaluating their roles in relation to the husband and how well they're doing. And so this is why God created man to lead. 
This is why. He created the man to lead. Why? Because the man's leadership is to be imaging the father's leadership within the divine community. Now, you see how contrary this is to the world? Can you imagine going out there and telling the world this? Sometimes in our premarital discussions, I tell the couple, and especially the lady, if you want to be a witness for Christ... I can give you one of the most powerful ways of doing it. Wives, if you want to be a clear, verbal witness where everybody's going to want to talk to you and you're going to be challenged, I can give you the way to do it. You may have a big Bible, you may not, but here's the way to do it. You tell your girlfriends, your lady friends, the people at the office, the people in the neighborhood, your parents, your relatives, whoever, I am called to be a woman who is submitted to her husband. Uh-oh. Then the fireworks start. And so we've actually had some of the ladies who were engaged, you know, going through the process, have done that, and they'll come back and say, whoo, I shared that and whatever, and everything blew up, and I was attacked. Why? Why is it so like that? Because the enemy of our soul is out there to disrupt and dismantle our relationships so we cannot accurately reflect who God is. And so if there's anything in any of us today that kind of bristles at this, the man is the leader, if, if, if there's a bristling in us, go to God. Because it's all about how he has designed us to be imaging him. You see, this is why God created the wife as the man's helper in order to image the son's submission to the father's leadership. This is what that's about. And in the natural setting, it's about Christ and the church, you remember, in Ephesians 5.32. This is why God constituted the man and the woman. I'm going to say this. It should be in your notes. Is this sentence in your note? I want you to do something. This is why God constituted the husband or the man and the woman differently. Is that in your notes? Okay, underline, circle, do whatever you need to the word different. Different. There is a reason why there is a physiological, mental, emotional, sometimes intellectual, but there are basic personal differences between men and women. There are differences. Why? Because, you see, God has created us this way so that we would be able to relate, I'm tired, to fulfill thy distinct roles through these differences. And any distortion of these roles, any distortion, any disruption of these roles... begins to distort the way the father and the son relate. And here's the difficulty. Here's the difficulty. The problem is with the word different. I look at the man in our premarital discussions and I say, here's your problem. And I want all of you to think about this. Here's your problem. Think about it, husbands and wives and everyone else. And those of you who are not married and hope to marry, those of you who will never remarry, but just think about it. Here's 
one of the major problems about marriage. You're marrying a human being. And, and, and I know, no, I agree, everybody laughs. And it is not a laughter of disbelief, but this is a fundamental issue that too many believers overlook and are not accepting of in the other person, yet want the other person to be accepting of my humanity. Isn't this right? We're very comfortable with our own weakness and our foibles. But we're not comfortable with the weaknesses and the foibles of our spouse. How many of you can admit to that? Come on. Come on. This is how it is. And so I tell the guys, you're marrying a woman. Billy, do you know what that means? You're marrying a woman. And she's a human being. I tell the women, you're marrying a man. And a human being at that. You're marrying a man for goodness sakes. And they're looking at me like, what's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with y'all yet because you haven't yet decided and understood that you are marrying someone who in many areas and in the most basic areas of life is very opposite of you. Now, come of you ladies, how many of y'all thought about that before you got married? He was just Prince Charming. Or you men, she's just Miss Princess. We didn't think about any of that. And it's going to be not that way in our life. We're going to have a different marriage. And our marriage is going to be so absolutely perfect that nobody else. And then six weeks later or whatever, they start coming back into the office saying, Ah! Ah! You didn't! Ah! Yes. What is the problem? The differences. I need to move along. You see how there's so much to talk about. Can you begin to see a little bit of what is out there? So there are differences. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. It's in the Old Testament, I believe. It's next to 1 Kings and 2 Peter. Psalm 139, verse 13. King David is speaking. Now, here's King David. Now, I'm not, I'm not deprecating nationality here. Don't, be, don't believe that for a minute. He's a Jew. That means he's shorter, has curly hair and a big nose. No, no, Semitic. Come on, I'm not making fun of people. I wouldn't do that to God's people. Understand who he is. He's a man with a certain temperament, personality, attitude. This guy has certain emotional qualities. He has many weaknesses. Do we know who David is? Look at what he says in verse 13. Addressing God. The you is who? God. Amen? And what have you done? You have what? You have what? Fearfully and what? Wonderfully done what? For me. You have knitted me, right? You see the word form and knitted? David says that everything about myself, may I repeat that? Everything about myself. May I say it one more time? Everything about myself. What does that include? 
what we think are strengths and what we know as weaknesses. My personality. Sometimes Jean says, and I think she's right, I wear her out. <laughs> well, the reason is, is because she's so rough and gruff and, and, and in your face and tense and all of that. And, and you know, bombastic and, and I'm so deferring and so sweet and kind. Y'all don't know my wife, do you? <laughs> so, John, where did I get my personality? Who gave me my personality? God. Who gave me my demeanor? God. Who created me with these emotions and, uh, and, and mental abilities or lack of ability, probably? Who did this? God is the author. God. God. One of the things I want you to do is over the next day or two, sit down and list all of the stuff about yourself that you're dissatisfied with. Physically, mentally, emotionally, historically, all your background. And then ask yourself, who is the author? Belt, who's the author? God. Who created my spouse with all this stuff wrong with her? Do you know how much wrong with Jean? I could write books. Volumes. And they couldn't even begin to fill this room. That's what's wrong with my wife. I know all kind of stuff wrong with her. Who created my spouse with all this stuff? Who did, class? God did. Now listen, married couples. This is a crux. This is the crux of the matter in very much of the marriage. God did. And we don't like it. Can you say amen? amen? Now, let's be clear. There are weaknesses in my wife that I don't like. Am I the only husband in here who can say that? How many of you men can dare to raise your hands? Come on, I know many of you. Many of you have been in my office. Yeah, some of you raise your hand a little bit like this. <laughs> Doc, is this right? Thank you. Look, look, look. No, no. He's, he just, listen, he's a dentist. He just swallowed his teeth on that one. <laughs> there are ways that Gene does and thinks that it, it's not compatible to me. It, it bounces off me. Come on, class. Let's be real today. This is the church. Amen? We're human beings. And there's just one thing about me that Gene doesn't like. <laughs> the whole package. <laughs> There are things about me that Gene doesn't like, or at least is frustrated over. And, you know, you understand what I'm getting at. Do, do you understand what I'm getting at? Are we clear on this? Chris, are we clear on this? Yeah, that's right, brother. I'm going to tell you. Whew. Aren't you glad your wife didn't come in here today? <laughs> You've never invited her in here, have you, Lester? <laughs> what up, what up? Now, look. Given that, look at verse 14. 
139.14. What does David say? What is the matter with you, God, giving me this woman this way or this man this way and all these things? What is the matter? What does it say? What does it say? In relation to everything who I am as a human being with all my weakness and proclivities and everything else, I have been created the way except for the activity of sin. You understand that, obviously. Hopefully that's a, we don't need to say that. What does David say about the way God created him, knowing all this stuff about himself, knowing that, oh, if I only could change this, if I could change that, if I could have this differently. What does he say in verse 14? What? I will what? Praise you. I will give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Gentlemen, God has created your wives differently than you for a particular purpose. So she can be the anointed, gifted helper that you need. You see, I have a problem. I have uh, uh, one or two issues in my life where pride is in the way. Just one or two. And the rest of it is just ignorance. Jean has a bent in her. She wants to help me. Now, how many of you ladies have a strong desire to be helpful to your husbands? Come on, come on, raise your hand. Don't we? Don't you rather? Isn't this kind of basic to you? Isn't this kind of basic to you? Right? It's kind of basic. And when the husband gets in the way of that, we create in our wives great frustration. And worse than that, a sense that she's not something about her worth and her, I don't need her, et cetera, et cetera. And so the other day, Jean asked me some question. I can't even remember. And I got a little snippy with her, and I came back later and apologized. She was merely trying to help me remember something that I already knew and I already took care of. But, you know, why does, you know, I don't. You see, I'm so perfect. Those of you who know me know I don't ever forget anything. I forget everything. And so I don't need any help. And so we come across like that. I mean, Nick, do you have any of these issues in you? Yes. You know why, brother? Because you are a male human being. And Angel, how does it make you feel? Frustrated. It hurts. It's damaging. I'm disallowing my wife to breathe the very spiritual air of life that God has given her to breathe in her role as my helper. Ah, so you married a man, huh? And he comes into the relationship with certain personality traits and certain ways of doing things and thought processes and dispositions and all of that. Ah, now we're going to start changing this buzzard into the man that I'm wanting to be. That's right. We're going to start when I say emasculating, I don't mean make him feminine. We're going to begin to emasculate him, to change him from the God-man that God created him to be into the woman-imaging man 
that you want him to be, ladies. And all of a sudden, the manipulation and that begins to happen. You see some of the stuff that happens in marriage. This is just basic. And so, to the place where we find ourselves dissatisfied with anything intrinsic. I'm talking about intrinsic, not dissatisfied with sin. Intrinsic to who I am as a human being. To who my wife or my husband is as a human being. When that happens, we are actively dissatisfied with God himself. Oh, no, I'm not dissatisfied with God. I just don't know why he, this, this husband is the way he is. Go to the man, sorry, go to the creator who made him. Right? And so, David was not dissatisfied with God's work. He took all of whom, who God had made him to be, except for sin. He took all that God had made him to be and set it before God and say, Oh, this is the way you've made me. You see, because if God is sovereign, oh, we love that word, God is sovereign. But it has a sharp edge to it. God is sovereign. We believe God's total, absolute sovereignty. Okay. Then that means this. That before the foundation of the world, God created a man, Joe, and a woman, Jane, to come together at a certain time and in a certain place to be a husband and wife. And he created Joe before the foundation of the world and then put it into practice when Joe was born. A particular personality, dispositional, emotional, etc., historical things to make this Joe who he is and then he did the same for Jane and he brought them together knowing this doing it in a way that each one of them is a precise instrument in his hands when they come together and function as one they are describing the relationship that exists within God to change any of that the intrinsicness of any of this is to disrupt the unity now, that doesn't mean that I, as a man, don't need to be sanctified. But you see, I, as a man, resist that help in my wife. And she, as a woman, is not trying to sanctify me. She's trying to change me. Amen, ladies? I mean, I'm, I'm against both of them. I'm against the man doing what he's doing, the woman's... Don't, I don't think you take... Any, do any of you take any sense from me that I'm... Prejudice against men and women. Don't, don't, hopefully that's not true. And so, you're trying to change your husband rather than being God's helper to sanctify your husband. And husband, you are rejecting or at least stymieing the work of your wife and Christ in her to be the most significant person in your life as the husband is to the wife. You see, one of the fundamental differences of a husband and wife, I don't know where I am in the notes, but I just can't be bothered at the moment. One of the most fundamental differences is this, and I want you to hear me very, very clearly today. 
The husband is given as the provider and the protector of the family. Amen? Genesis 2.15. Work, guard, and keep, maintain the garden. Right? You got it? Remember you go to Numbers 3, 7, and 8 to get how these two words, Shema and Avat, are, are, are used in Levitical services. As such, the man's priority in life. May I repeat that, Mike? The man's priority in life. Donnie, may I repeat that for you? The man's priority in life as a husband is the working and keeping of the garden of his wife's heart. It's not in his job. It's in his wife. The job and everything else as incidentals given so he can perform the natural needs. It's your wife. It's my wife. And as such, my wife becomes not the only, but the primary object of my life's work. And so that means that everything that I do as a husband and want to do, et cetera, et cetera, must be, if it's going to fulfill God's purpose, must be within the context or under the umbrella of how will this minister godliness to my wife. This is God I'm talking about. This is not the world. I mean, the world thinks we're crazy in here. And so that means that this, that for the husband, the wife is his most important project. Write that down. For the husband, I am his most important project. But the thing for the wife is radically different. You see, because the husband is given head over the wife. As Christ has head over the church. So the church is Christ's most important project, isn't it? Isn't that it? Right? It's not his only project. He's maintaining the universe through the word of his power. Somebody said that to somebody somewhere. It's not his only project, Gordon, but it is his most important project. So that everything he does is for the purpose of creating a church which honors and glorifies the fathers, amen, and the leadership and the, and the relationship. With the, you understand that. But the, but the wife, her very essence and meaning in life is her husband. Her husband is everything to her. As the church, Christ is everything to the church. You see the distinction, the distinction. And this is why when communications and activities occur in the marriage and the husband, you know, the wife says, look, I, I, I need to have this and that. This has to be corrected or whatever, figured out questions. And so the, the wife has a real issue or problem, whatever. And so the husband sits down and gives her five things what to do. Boom, 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 boom. And she becomes miserable and upset. And falls apart. Say, what? I just, I just did what you asked me to do. I, I came to, you know, I, I, I fixed it. And he's supposed to fix it. But what was left out? 
He didn't understand that she is a relational person and he's a work person. And that underneath her need to have something fixed is first a relationship that she, in as he relates to her and communicates, hears first and foremost, I care. I care about you. I care about you. You see, because a wife's first need is a husband's care and nourishment and love for her. Then she can go ahead and begin to work out the details of how to do something. Very deep differences. But rather than embracing these differences and thanking God for them, the husbands and wives collide over them. We collide over them and we become dissatisfied. So let me jump into the last five minutes here and say this. What's happening here? The essence of what's happening here is this. Where there is strife and contention and strain in a marriage, what's happening is a lack of or a diminution, a diminishing or a little bit of or not enough of God's kind of love. That's what's lacking. You see, the problem isn't your husband. The problem isn't your wife. What's lacking here is the activity in whatever the area and to whatever extent of, the, of God's love, of God's kind of love. That's what's lacking here. That's the base of what's going on here. See, how can the three divine persons fellowship and work together in perfect unity and harmony? Because of 1 John 4 eight, God is love. And so God is love means that the three persons of the one being of God fellowship and work as one in an atmosphere of mutual love and care and respect. But in our marriages, the focus is more on me rather than on capital V, on God. And that's where the battle is. So when I begin to become frustrated or angry or impatient, whatever it is, or you, whatever it is, all of a sudden I know, let my emotions be my spiritual barometer. When I'm feeling those, if you would, negative emotions, and I think you understand what I mean by that, frustration and anger and impatience and unkindness, that tells me that there is a lack of God's kind of love in operation in some area of my heart. Amen? It tells me that. And so what I need to do is look at what is creating this. Where is it from? In me, not in her or in him. And go to the Lord and confess that my natural love is in the way. It's impeding. And that I need God by the Holy Spirit to be surgically, if you would, removing my kind of love and having it replaced with God's kind of love in this particular area of my heart, my life, my thoughts, my emotions, my desires, my actions. There is a continual transfer here. Or transformation. You remember we're being transformed. Remember that in Romans 12? We're being transformed. There's a continual transfer here. 
in a multiplicity of areas. From our kind of self-centered, self-pleasing, self-aggrandizing love to God's kind of love, of self-giving, of selflessness, of care, of kindness, you know, for the benefit of the other person. And that's what our whole life is about and our whole battle is about. It's a battle about two loves. Human kind of love and God's kind of love. And no matter what the area is, I don't care what the area is. It has to do with the battle between my kind of love as a human being and God's kind of love, which are absolutely antithetical. They're opposite. And so God, as I said one time before, is not trying to improve my love. He's trying to, and he is crucifying my love and resurrecting the love of Christ in me. Amen? So I don't want to be a better husband. I want to be a Christ husband. You don't want to be a better wife. You want to be what? A Christ wife. Does this make sense to you? If you were to look, and you don't have time to look today, but if we were to look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to the beginning of verse 8, and Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the Apostle Paul gives us a very brief definition of God's kind of love. And we begin to look at this and examine ourselves against this. And so in the midst of potential temptation to act selfish because of what I feel and what I want and and my emotions and my desires and whatever, let's take a moment to ask, is my love patient and kind? Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you and your wife and for everyone else really, but especially for the husbands and wives, this is accentuated in the marriage. When you begin to have those clashes, anybody know what I mean by the clashes? Does anybody have a perfect marriage in here? And you shouldn't have been in the class. Actually, you should be teaching rather than I. When those things happen, can we stop for a moment and internally first say this? Not to have your wife or your husband ask you, is this God kind of love? No. You're not the Holy Spirit. Only God is the Holy Spirit. Is my love patient and kind? Or am I being impatient and unkind? Every time you're impatient, it's your kind of love. Because God's love is always what? Patient. Anytime you find unkindness in you, it's your kind of love, antithetical to God's. And your kind of love and my kind of love put Jesus on the cross. Does my love envy or boast? Am I being rude? Am I insisting on my own way? Am I being irritable or resentful? Does my love have an end? Will my love go so far and it won't go any further? I won't go any further with you. Is that the expression of God's love? What does Philippians 2 say? Being found in the form of a man, 
what? He humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross. Remember Philippians 2.8? How far did God's love go to redeem us? How far? All the way. That's God's kind of love. That's the kind of love that is to be operative in my life. There is never to be an end of what I as a man of God or you as women and men of God are to say. There is an end to the way I'm going to do this or love this or etc. There is not an end to it if we're God's kind of loving people. There's no end to it. Does God's love ever end? Faith, hope, and love, these three will endure what? Right now. But which one will last forever? Love will last forever. Remember the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13. Does my kind of love exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is who we are to be in Christ. As a congregation of God's people, but more specifically as husbands and wives. If you're dissatisfied with something about your husband or wife, the intrinsicness of that person. Look at 139 Psalms, verses 13 and, 15, uh, 13 and 14 again. And actively begin to thank God and to praise God for the way your spouse is and also for the way you are. And be totally accepting of the way God has made your spouse and begin to allow God to show you how you are to be used in sanctifying grace to take off the rough edges, remember we're human beings, and to create us in such a way that we become smooth with one another as puzzle pieces fitting easily into the puzzle rather than the jagged edges. No changes, no manipulation, no antagonism, no fighting, but mutual loving one another and caring for one another in our respective roles. Amen? And next week we're going to talk about the warfare. <laughs>